Thanks so much for being here with us today at South City Church. Uh, what a sweet time of worship. Thank you guys so much for leading us. Um, if you've been coming in the last few weeks, you know that we've been talking about kind of who we want to be as a church, where we're going. Uh, we've been in a series called The Why. And you know that uh, the why has been the answer to that question, what is the why, is the great commission of Jesus, right? It's the reason we do what we do. Why do we exist? Why are we here this morning? Why should we get up in the morning? It's to be a disciple of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. That is the why, right? That's the reason. So many of you have been coming, you said, yeah, I've heard those things. We've been in this series, we've broken it down into five different messages about what it means uh, the vision of the church, right? South City Church exists to love God and all people, right? By becoming authentic disciples who make disciples for the glory of God and the good of the city. We've broken it down to those five uh, sections of our vision statement. And today, if you've been coming, you're kind of going, okay, now what? So what? what? What do we do now? So that's the title of the message today, so what? What do we do with the vision, what do we do with these things that we've talked about, this idea, this, this hope of who we'll become as a church? Well, before we get into it too much, um, I got to tell you, it's hard to plant a church in today's culture or to re, what we're doing is what is called a replant. And it is not an easy thing to do. There's a lot of people that just, they just don't trust the church anymore, especially millennials. They just don't trust the church. Anything uh, organizational, anything institutional, there's just sort of a, I'm not sure if I can trust what's going on. And, and honestly, I don't know that I can blame them, right? There have been so many scandals in the church, so many pastors and leaders that have, have done crazy things. And for whatever reason, in some ways, the church has given them reason to doubt. Uh, there's so much, at times, there's so much bureaucracy in the church. Sometimes there's so much politics in the church. And maybe you're like me, maybe you've actually been wounded by the church. The church is full of people. And people are broken, aren't we? And because we're broken, in many ways the church is broken, and yet this is the body of Christ, and Jesus loves the church. And he gave us life for the church, therefore we, should love the church. So I understand the frustrations, you know, and there's a thing about, I think it's especially this case in the South, a lot of people think, well, I'm, I'm going to be a part of the church, but this is what it's going to look like. I'm going to come and I'm going to join, I'm going to get my membership, little paper, whatever, and then you might see me at Easter, you might see me a couple of times in the year, but that's pretty much all I can commit to you. I'm going to do my own thing, I might come in, I might, I'm going to call you if somebody dies. If some, one of my kids needs to get married, we'll call you. If somebody's sick, we might have you come by. And so, in a, in a lot of ways, that's what people's definition of the church is. It's really not uh, that connected to our lives. Instead, it's this strange entity that we're members of and we receive benefits for. So it's, it's kind of an interesting thing. I, I've been reading this book this week uh, by this guy by the name of John, uh, Jonathan Lehman. He's actually part of the Nine Marks Publishing group that we did, uh, you know, we did a study back in the fall, um, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, and he's part of that staff and writing. And he, he wrote this in his book, Church Membership. It says, if you are a Christian, 
the local church is not a club. It's not a voluntary organization where membership is optional for you. It is not a friendly group of people who share an interest in religious things and so gather weekly to talk about the divine. Nor is it a church service provider where the, cus- where the customer has all the authority. And listen, how guilty have we been when we get to lunch at home or at a restaurant and we go, well, what did you think of church today? Right? Well, I, I, worship seemed like it was just too loud or too long. The preacher was definitely too loud and I didn't like that shirt, you know? All of a sudden we just start giving these critiques on some type of service, but the church is not a service provider. It's a family. It's a family. Here, this is what it boils down to for us. As partners of South City Church, I'm a partner of South City Church, many of you are partners of South City Church. What it means for us is that the responsibility for us to grow a healthy church here, it's on you. It's on me. It's on us. This is our family. And if we're going to become a healthy church, it's going to be up to us together. How do I know that? Well, let me just give you a few little examples, okay? Jesus said this in Matthew 28 to the church, to disciples. He said, go and make disciples, right? Baptizing them, teaching them all the things that I've taught you, and I'll be with you to the end of the age. You know what he said? Jude said this in Jude 20 and 21. He said, uh, build yourselves up in the faith. That's what the book of Jude says. Peter calls uh, us to use our gifts and to serve the body in, in 1 Peter 4. And Paul says for us to, <laughs> and this is a tough one, Paul calls for us as the church to speak the truth in love so that we may grow in maturity as believers in Jesus in Ephesians 4. It is on us to become a healthy church. It's on us. It's our job. It's our responsibility. Well, there's three things this morning that I want us to look at quickly, okay, that you need to know. If you're saying, okay, so what? What's next? What does it mean for me? I'm, I'm, on, the, I'm on the fence. I'm trying to decide if I want to be a part of this church. Or, or what does it mean for me going forward? What, what, is it, what is this all about? Three things I want you to really consider seriously this morning, okay? I want you to consider, and I think we've got these blanks on your bulletin this morning if you want to follow along. The three things are this. We want you to partner with us, and I'll explain in just a minute what that means. We want you to be a partner of South City Church. The second thing is we want you to serve the vision of South City Church. And the third thing, we want you to invest in the vision of South City Church. That's what we do together as partners. We partner, we serve, and we invest. All right, what does that mean? Well, to partner with the vision, first thing I want you to understand is A lot of churches use this word membership. I'm a member of so-and-so church, right? Well, I'm just not a big fan of the word member because to me, the word member kind of denotes what do I get in this deal? What do I receive? And listen, I'm not old enough to be a part of AARP, but I'm not that far away either. Uh, But when you join a club like AARP, you want to know, when I pay this due, what do I get? If I'm going to be a member of the country club, what does that mean? What are the, can we go to the pool? Can we go to the, you know, what do I get? And the sad thing is that's kind of funneled over into the church. What do I get out of this deal to be a member here? Membership speaks of benefits, but I like the word partnership. Some of you are going, oh, it's just semantics. 
It's just they kind of mean the same thing, but they don't. I believe we have to be intentional with the words that we use. And this is what partnership means. It means that we give. It means that you can say things like, I'm partnering in this vision. I'm investing in this future. I have ownership in this church. Members tend to focus on benefits and rights, and partners focus on sacrifice and investment. Clubs, political parties, unions, they use words like membership, but owners and investors use words like partnerships. When partners invest, I've I've had uh, a couple of businesses where I've had some partners join me. And uh, it's been interesting to be a, you know, a part of a business that you have partners in. Um, it's not just you, it's, it's a combined effort. This is what partners do. Partners see the potential in what's going on, don't they? They go, you know what? I see what you're doing. I want to be a part of that. I, I want to I I help you with that. They see the potential. They dream with you towards the vision. They help you dream towards the future and the vision. They give you guidance in their areas of expertise. This guy over here may be much better at this one thing, and this guy over here might be a lot better at this one thing. They keep you from making mistakes, and they keep you out of pitfalls. That's what partners do. Partners, they say things, they use language like, you know what, this is my church. This is our vision. These are our needs. That's what, that's what partners do. So what does church partnership look like for South City Church? We're going to get into it in just a minute, and I'm explain it. But I want you to know one of the things that has happened in the Big C Church is this. It's kind of like a photocopy. You know when you make a copy of something on a copier, and then you make a copy of that copy? Then you make a copy of that copy? You know what I'm talking about? All of a sudden, the image just gets weird, and it doesn't look anything like the original thing you wanted to copy, right? To some degree, that has happened in the church. And so I think the best thing for us to do as a church when we say, what does it mean for us to be a part of this church, to be a partner in this church? Man, let's go to the original, can we? Let's go to the original. This is Acts 2, and we're going to look at verse 41 together. This is the first text we're going to look at this morning. 41, Acts 2. Here we go. Those who accepted his message were baptized. And about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Now, let me give you some context on this. You might remember we studied this a few months ago, but what's happening is the Holy Spirit has just fallen from heaven into the upper room in Jerusalem. And the disciples are now speaking in different languages, right? They're not their own language. They're speaking in different languages of different nations. And the Holy Spirit is anointing and filling the disciples. And Peter walks out of the upper room with this power, this anointing, this this special thing that God has given to the church, and he begins to preach. He preaches this message to the Jews that Jesus, the Jesus you just killed, is and was the Messiah. You've just murdered the Messiah. And it fell hard and heavy on their hearts. So heavy that they said, oh my goodness. I believe this. I accept this message is what this is saying. I believe Jesus was the Messiah, and I believe He died for us. I believe that God raised Him on the third day. I believe that He can change my life, and I want to be a part of this group of people. Let's look at it again. Those who accepted His message were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their their number that day. That means 
they join the church. Now listen, for Pe- preacher Peter, this was a good day. You know, it's a good day. He went from 120 to 3120, just like that. And then we get to see this beautiful snapshot of what God wants the church to be. It's beautiful. Let's take a look at it. Verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Can you just go with me for a second? Can we just dream for a moment? Can you imagine if God added to South City Church a soul every day? Can you imagine? Can you imagine that this could be the church God wants us to be? This is such a beautiful snapshot. And I want us just to look very simply at what made that church what it was. Lord, help us to be the church you want us to be, okay? The first thing is this. People accepted the message. They believed Jesus. They said, yes, that's, that's the truth, and I want to be identified with that truth. In order to be identified with that truth, they did what? They got baptized, right? That's what happened in the early church. They got baptized. Can you imagine the lines, 3,000 people standing around for a couple of areas? I don't know what it looked like. It, it took hours, maybe all day. I have no idea. How beautiful. How beautiful. So we see this framework in the early church. People believed in Jesus. They got baptized. It says they were added to the number. In other words, somebody was paying attention to who these people were. Because it wasn't just a matter of them believing, and it wasn't just a matter of their baptism. Now they had to care for their souls. Now they had to learn. Because Jesus didn't just say, hey, go and make disciples baptizing them. He didn't just say that, did he? He said, go and make disciples baptizing them teaching them all the things that I've taught you. So there's a secondary part to this. So here's the framework. People believe in Jesus. They get baptized. They're added to the church. Then it says they're gathered together. Do you know that's what ecclesia means? Ecclesia is the Greek word that we use for church. We are the ecclesia of God, the church. We are the gathered ones, the called out ones. And then it says, believers orient their lives around each other. So everything. So their meals together, their prayers together, their schedules, financial and property decisions influenced the church. They blessed people with those things. They even cared for the least of these because people like widows were a part of this church saying, I believe. And so part of their uh, organization was that they were going to care for those people. It was beautiful. Back in the day, in the early church, if you're a Christian, you were going to be connected to the church. You didn't have a whole lot of people saying, yeah, I believe, and getting baptized, and then going, I just don't know what church I'm going to join. Uh, Antioch's pretty cool. they got a good music program, but Galatia's, I don't know, maybe Ephesus. That didn't happen, right? Back then, it was the church. And so what's neat is when people came to Jesus, it was because there was a connection to the body of Christ. Do you see that? 
They were connected to a family of people immediately. Here's another thing. They were real people as a part of the church. If you're sitting next to somebody, just kind of tap them on the shoulder real quick, will you? Just, yep, you feel? They're, they're there. They're real people, right? But what's happened in the church is that we have elevated, we have inflated, I'm sorry, these roles, these church roles. And so now we'll have thousands of people on a church role and we'll never see them. We'll never even know who most of them are. But they're on our role. According to the role, they're part of the church. But according to this description of the church, they have nothing to do with the church. The church was made up of real people, people you could touch, people that you could walk life with, people you could learn from. We got a letter this week in the office. Uh, It was a letter from uh, a church down the street that said there was a couple that wanted to join their church and they wanted us to send a letter saying it's okay for them to join. The problem was I had no idea who these people were. I had no clue. And so I said, Brother Jerry, come in here and and help me figure this out. Just know, because he knows pretty much everything. If you ever have a question, he's the guy about anything. But uh, at least that's the way I feel about it. He always helps me with those kind of things. But he came in, he looked at this letter, and he goes, I don't know who these people are. I don't have a clue. And so now we're kind of going, well, what do we do? I mean, we don't, these people are members of our church, kind of. Do we send a letter saying, sure, but we don't know who they are. They haven't been here. There's a reason that we're supposed to walk life together, not just have our name on a roll. Having our name on a roll doesn't do anything for us. Let's walk life together. Let's be the community, the body of Christ together. Why is it important? Why is it important to be community? Let's take a look at it real quick, can we? In Acts, 20th chapter, 28th verse, it says this. Keep watch over yourselves and all the flock of which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers. Keep watch. So this is what it's saying. It's saying, listen, I've made you an overseer. Take care of yourself and these people. Take care. Make sure that you're you're doing what you need to do to help them learn all the things that I've taught you. So that's what we do at this church. And listen, on a good day, we have currently maybe 130, 140 people if we were all here at the same time. This is a small season for us because we're going to grow. And you know what? I can't take care of 140 people. It's not possible. In fact, even our staff, we have three full-time staff pastors. Well, Jerry's part-time. We have two and a half half staff pastors, but he makes up for it. The three of us can't care for 140 people. So what we have is we have small group leaders that are sort of like shepherds that are supposed to shepherd 10 to 12 people. And as they care for the hearts and souls and lives of the people that they're caring for, Hopefully, we're being obedient to this, right? There's a reason we want you connected in small groups so that we can care for your soul. So now listen, if you're saying, all right, what does it mean to partner with South City Church? This is what it looks like for us, okay? There's a process. We call it the what's next group. So many of you are saying, all right, I've been here. I'm kind of digging what, we're, what you're doing. What's next? We have a group. It's an eight-week group. And for two or three of the weeks, we share our stories, In fact, let me just kind of show you kind of how we came up with this. It came out of Acts 2. When we share our stories, we say, tell us how you came to believe and accept the message of Jesus. 
But are you a Christian? Do you know? And listen, you don't have to be a Christian to come to a what's next group. We would love to tell you about Jesus if you come to a what's next. You might say, what's next in my life? I don't know who this Jesus is. Come to the group and we'll help tell you. We'll show you. That's okay. But we do exactly what the, other, the, the early church did. We, we know that you've accepted, you've made this choice to follow Jesus with your life. And then we want to hear, were you baptized? Because that's the example we see in the early church. Were you baptized? Because that was a demarcation of, I'm a part of this group, and it's the same for us. Right? And then we say, well, we want you to gather regularly with believers and learn and become a disciple and make disciples. And then we want you to orient your lives around each other. We want you to have dinner together. We want you to do a small group together. We want you to help care for each other's kids. We want you to walk life with each other. We want you to give and to serve. Basically what we've done is we've said, here's the original version of the church. Can we be like that? What would it be if we could be like that? It would be an amazing church, that's what. And that's what we want to be. Why is it important to be connected to community? Because God never intended us to walk this life alone. And if we're not connected in community, it's impossible for a few pastors to care for your souls. Here's the, here's the three things that we want discipleship and small groups to really accomplish for us. We want you to be in community and cared for. That's what small groups do. They, they, they care, they, they walk in community with you and they care for you and your family. Secondly, they help create discipleship in your life. We want you to become a disciple and make a disciple. And thirdly, listen, we have to have a process of discipline. Now, this is going to get your attention here real quick, isn't it? That's because discipline is not talked about anymore in the church. Here's the reality, though. If the New Testament church doesn't function with discipline, it's not a New Testament church. Now, if you're like me at all, you hear the word discipline, you go, oh, what's that mean? Right? I'm trying to, I have two little girls, we're trying to teach our girls what it means to, to do certain things, right? To not run out into the street, that's not a good idea. To be disciplined, to not eat too many sweets, it won't, this won't turn out well for you, right? There, there's things that we have to, to be taught, there's things we have to learn in order to function properly. And the bottom line for us is this, we know that God has an amazing plan for your life. We know it. And when we walk together in community in the function of a New Testament church, we will walk in a loving way with you. So what it means for me is to say, hey friends, I'm going to mess up. And I need you to come alongside me and say, hey, you know what, I think you could do a better job here. And if my heart is right, I'm going to say, you know what, you're right. Help, thank you for helping me with that. It doesn't have to be some scary thing. It can be something we give our lives to. You know, this guy, Jonathan Lehman, he said, one quote from his book is, you know, Christians don't join a church, they submit to it. At least that's what it's supposed to be. But here's the deal. How many people you know go, hey, me and my family, today's the day we're going to submit to the church. That, we don't do that anymore, do we? But I'm just telling you, that's the way God has designed his church, to help you become all that God wants you to be. It doesn't mean it has to be done with uncaring ways or unloving people. It means that we, no, we go to the extent of loving. We do all that we can to love you and care for you. 
and lead you to this place where you know the Lord better than you've known him before. Here's the first thing, to partner with us, right? Here's the second thing, serve the vision. What does it mean to serve? Uh, Paul, Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 right here. Now, and I'll also remind you this. Remember when Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Remember that? Matthew 16. Yes, this means yeah. This means no. You with me? This is interesting to me because now we see Jesus with the construction hat on building his church. Ephesians 4 says this. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, and the teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Has anybody here this morning attained the whole measure of the fullness of Christ? No. That's why we learn and grow. It doesn't happen like that. That's why Paul's saying this is a process. We have to be built up to this. We have to learn. This is layer upon layer of discipleship. We're growing. We're being built into this. And God, Jesus himself, has given the leaders of the church so that we can equip you to serve. And listen to this. This is so beautiful. When we serve, when we serve, this is what God does in the church. He helps us to be sanctified. He helps us in that process of coming to know him more and maturing in Christ. I love the uh, analogy in uh, 1 Corinthians 12. We're not going to read it, but i just remind you of it, where Paul's talking about the different uh, members of the body. Remember, he says, we don't need a bunch of hands. We don't need a bunch of teachers. If everybody was teachers, it wouldn't, it wouldn't help, right? It wouldn't, if we had all singers, it wouldn't help. If we had all nursery workers, it wouldn't make sense. But the cool thing about this thing in God is that he gives us all different interests and different giftings. It's beautiful how God has designed the diversity of the church so that we can serve all the needs in the church. It's beautiful. Serving can look like this. Maybe you, you just want to make a difference. And trust me, when you serve, you make a difference in this church. I don't care what it is you're doing. When you're serving, you make a difference. God uses people changing diapers as much as you use people leading worship or teaching. He does. You might have a desire to help just where there's a need. And listen, trust me, we have all kinds of needs. You want people to experience the love of Jesus that you've experienced. So you know what you're doing? You're helping around the house. Our, our two girls, again, we're trying to teach them, hey, when you finish dinner, pick up your plate, walk over. It's not hard, but pick up your plate, walk over to the sink, put your, you know. They're learning to help around the house. It takes, it takes discipline. It takes uh, intentionality for us to get there. And we need work. We need workers around the house helping us serve. Listen, you, you know that uh, the pastors and leaders of the church, we can't do it all. I walked around the church this morning doing some different things, and I just saw so many things that I want to see done, and I can't get to it. I can't do it all. We can't do it all. We need your help. We need your help. Maybe you're just gifted in some amazing way. Maybe you're an amazing singer, amazing player of an instrument. Maybe you love to teach kids or play with kids or hold kids. Maybe you love coffee. See where I'm going with this? Maybe you love coffee and you just know life is better with a great cup of coffee in your hand, right? Amen? Amen. And so we've got a team for you. 
Or maybe you just love cops and robbers movies and you like to play with walkie-talkies. We have a job for you. All kinds of things for different people and different interests, right? You might love to meet new people. You don't meet a stranger. We got a job for you. We need your help. See, the reality is when you serve, it's because you have a bigger, you have a bigger perspective. It's not just about meeting a little need. It's about humbling yourself. It's about being a part of the family and taking care of family things around the house of God. And I just love this. When we serve, something happens. Seriously, when when we serve together, when we're on mission together, God does something with us together. I don't know if you've ever been on a mission trip, but usually at the beginning of a mission trip, you show up at the airport and you're pulling your little thing, you know, and you're you don't know anybody, maybe you know just a few people and you're shaking hands, oh, you're going on the, nice to meet you, and nice to hear, what's your name, nice to meet you. But on the trip back, and tell me if I'm wrong, but I'm, I'm not. When the trip back, you got each other in headlocks, you're, the night before you're singing Kumbaya, you're telling each other's life story and dreams, am I right? The, it, I call it the mission trip miracle. God does something when we're on mission together to draw us together. And not just draw us together, it brings glory to God. People worship as a result. That's what 1 Peter 4 says. Chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others. As faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. When we serve, we praise God. It it's it's, helps the church to worship. To Him be the glory and the power forever and ever. When we serve, we help the church worship. Here's the third thing, and then we're going to be done. We want you to invest in the vision. Partner, serve, and invest in the vision. So what are we asking you to invest? Well, we're asking you to invest your resources. One of your greatest resources probably is your time because you're not getting any of it back on this, on this earth, right? Our, our time is limited, it's precious, but this is what we want of your time. We want you to be consistent here. It's a blessing to the church when you're consistent here and that takes your time. We want you to be involved in a small group that takes intentionality and your time. We want you to pray for the church. Can I just push pause on the message and say, are you praying for South City Church? Please be praying for our church because we know, we know without a shadow of a doubt, we know that we can do nothing. We can only be connected to a greater vine of Jesus and that he and he alone will do what he wants to do in his church. And so we pray that he would do it and we need you and we need your time that you're praying for the church. Are you making disciples? Are you becoming a disciple? It takes time. We want you to be supportive of ministries. One day, one day we're going to have a youth pastor and a youth group and a children's pastor and a children's group. You can serve in those areas. You can bless them. You can go with them on trips. You can, we've got life skills here. We, we need your help now in those areas, but it takes time. Serving in these areas of need takes time. Here's the second thing we need. We need money. But it's not just about us needing money. The church does have needs, but you know what's more important is God has called us to give. And I promise you, when we give, 
it's so much more about what we get than just the fact that something has a need. God is trying to call our hearts to obedience and commitment. And listen, when he gets a hold of our hearts, he gets a hold of our checkbook. That's it. Sometimes it can be the last thing he gets a hold of. But he needs to be a hold of our whole lives, right? Let me just mention this about our money. Everything you have, everything I have is not mine. It's the Lord's. Every single thing, every single cent you have, everything in your savings account, everything you own, it's all God's. It's not yours. What I have is not mine. But, you know, I think sometimes it's easy to get kind of confident in what we've done. It's, kind of, it's easy to get kind of, hey, this is mine. I'll do what I want with it, right? It's easy to get there. But I want, I want you to look at this verse in Deuteronomy 8, verse 17. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and, and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me, verse 18. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You don't have what you have because you've done something. You have what you have because God has given you the ability to do something. It all goes back to him. It's all his. Jesus spoke of this word a lot. The the Greek word for steward, it means to manage. In other words, if everything is God's, he's called us to manage what's his, right? He's called us to manage it. And so you can't talk about giving without talking about tithing. So I just want to hit on this really quickly. In the Old Testament, before the Mosaic Law, there was tithing. So a lot of theologians think tithing's not just connected to the Old Covenant and the New Covenant or the Mosaic Law. Believers then, now, can tithe. You get into the Mosaic Law and you see all kinds of tithes, all kinds of offerings. And they went anywhere from 10%, listen to this, to 23%. I know for a long time in my Christian walk, I was just so excited. If I could get to 10%, that would be so awesome. I'm like, I'm working, working my way to 10%, right? <laughs> but in the Mosaic Law, that was the starting point. You didn't like try to work your way to 10%. That's where you begin. And it went to 23%. In the New Testament, tithing is mentioned three times. And in those stories where tithing is mentioned, tithing is not the main topic. It's the stories related to other, other issues. The thing that's important here is to know, listen, regardless if, if you use a tenth as what you go by or 23%, this is really an issue of grace. Because you know what? We're not under the law. God's not saying, hey, Christian, you have to give dot, dot, dot. He did in the Mosaic Law. And now it's sort of a, this is a, this is what we would suggest is something good to go by. So for my family, we tithe to the church. We give to the church. It's, it's kind of the standard by which we, we give. The other night, I was laying in bed with my seven-year-old, uh, Jovi. She, she turned seven this week. And she got so much money for her birthday, it's unbelievable. I've never in my life, I'm 44. To this day, I've never received so much money from grandparents and stuff. It's ridiculous. Anyway, we're laying in bed. She has like $110, $115 or something, and I don't know what it is, but we're, we're laying in bed. We're talking. I said, now, honey, you know, Joby, you know all this money. This is not yours. This is God's. This house, all our groceries, our car, this, this PJs you got on here in the bed, everything we have is all God's. And I said, you know what God wants us to do? 
She said, what, Daddy? I said, he wants us to give 10% at least back to him. She said, wait, how, how much would that be? She's, she's like trying to calculate, right? She's like, how much would that be? I said, well, let's see here. Probably, she said, I said, it'd probably be about $11. She went, she's, she's rolling it around. I don't think I want to do that. <laughs> and uh, I said, I understand, it's hard. To tithe and to give is to say above every other need in our lives, God, you're first. You sustain my life and everything I have is yours. I place you first. I give back because of all you've given me. So giving is not out of a, a, a rule that we're under God's thumb in some way. Giving is an act of grace. Lord, how much can I give with joy? How much can I give? You can use that method. You can use the sort of uh, mosaic law if you want. Happy for you to start at 23% if you'd like. <laughs> this is what 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17 says. It says, command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Verse 18 says, command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. I love the way that speaks there at the end. Take hold of the life that is truly life. Because listen, sometimes we think it's all about the toys, don't we? It's all about what we have. It's all about what we've built. But it's not. It's about love. Lord, how much do I love you? How much do I give to you because I love you? How much can I serve people because I love them? Because you've called me to love. When you invest with South City Church with your money, here's some things we're asking you to do. We're asking you to give of your tithes and your offerings, okay? We're asking you to be helpful with benevolence. We have an account for benevolence for people who have need. We have people in our church who have needs, great needs, and we try to help with those as we can. You can give towards that. Listen, next week, we've got a missionary coming to speak, and we're going to have a project that we're going to ask you to give toward. It's a mission project. Those things are good to give toward. When we ask you to give, this is what we're doing. We're asking you also to trust the leadership that God has given the church. Not a blind trust, right? Because uh, like I said before, it's hard to start a church because there's a lack of trust. Yeah, we're not asking for a blind trust. We're asking for you to trust godly leaders who are holding us accountable, who are helping us be efficient, structured, and yet organic enough to follow the Spirit and yet be a family together. Some things we're asking you to invest in. We're asking you to invest your time, your money. We're also asking you to invest your life. Invest your life here. Build relationships. Be authentic. Be vulnerable. Submit to learn and grow in Jesus. Because you're asking a group of people, help me be all that I can be in Jesus. Would you help me be that? And you know what? You can't become all that God wants you to become without the church. You can't do it. There's no Lone Ranger Christianity. And then here's the last thing, and I'm going to close. And this is appropriate for us today, right, because of all these beautiful kids that are here with us. We're asking you to invest your family. 
Invest your family here. When, when we were having meetings early on back in the summer for us to think about coming down here, we were driving down and uh, we were talking to the kids and Lori and I were kind of talking in the front seat and going, is everything going to be okay with the kids' programs? And oh, what? Because Disney World is up here as far as entertainment value. Fellowship Bible Church is right in this area, right? And we were really concerned that our kids would miss the stuff. They would miss the bells and the whistles. They have not. Do you know why? Because kids reflect what we need, relationships. Kids need people investing in their lives. They need love. They don't care about the bells and whistles. One day we'll have more bells and whistles over there. We'll have some stuff that entertains them more than we do now. But what they need is people who love them. What they need is people who will teach them and walk with them. And that's what you need as well. Invest here. Invest your family here. My family has been invested in this church or temple church since 1942. It's been beautiful. And God, I can just tell you this as as a, a personal testimony, God has greatly blessed my family. We've seen babies born. We've seen people married right here. We've seen people baptized right there. We've seen called, people called to ministry. See, there's something when you invest, not just your money and your time, your life, when you invest your family, you're saying, you know what? We're in for the long haul. Last week we talked about having a long-term vision, the Israelites in Babylon, they didn't have a long-term vision until Jeremiah said, 70 years, you're going to be there 70 years, settle down, get comfy. We need a long-term vision with our kids in a place that we believe is a godly church with godly people, right? So this is what we're asking you to do. If you're going to be a part of our church, we want you to partner with us. We, don't, we just don't want a big role of members. We want partners to invest. We want you and we need you to serve. Invest your life, your time, your money, your resources, and your family. Now, we're going we're gonna to close today a little differently than we normally do. You may notice we haven't taken the offering yet, and I wanted us to wait, and this is the reason I wanted us to wait. Offering is worship. When we, when we give of our offerings, it should be done with a heart and a spirit of worship. And worship is a response to God. And so I wanted us to respond to God today as we've looked at His Word, if we've looked at what it means to be a partner of South City Church, and we've thought through what does it mean for me to be a part of what God is doing here. I'm in. I'm all in. I want to see God do amazing things here. I'm going to invest all of myself, my family, into this place. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to, we're going to take up our offering. We're going to do it as a, as a time of worship. Daryl, would you go ahead and come on? And uh, I'm just going to ask, before we even take our offering, our ushers are going to get ready in just a minute. I'm just going to ask that we just kind of have a time where he's just playing for us. And we're just taking a moment just to say, God, so what? What's next for my family? What's next for me? Maybe you're already part of our what's next group. We have nine people right now in our what's next group. And in about a month or five weeks or so, my heart and hope is that those nine people will partner with us. And we'll start another what's next group. And I hope we have another nine or ten. Because God is at work here. Are we going to join him? Are we going to join him in his work? 
Would you pray with me this morning? God, everything we have is yours. And it's hard to trust churches sometimes. I get it. So, Lord, would you help us to take our cue from the early church, from your original design, your original vision of what the church is supposed to be? Would you help us to look at what that means and to be that ourselves? Help us to believe, help us to be baptized, help us to to gather together regularly, help us to orient our lives around each other so that we can be all that you want us to be. Help us to invest, to serve. So Lord, as, as I end this prayer, and we just take a minute here just to thank you for your gifts and your goodness. And before we give back to you all that you've given to us, we just say thank you. Thank you for your kindness toward us. Thank you for the country that we have because men and women were willing to give their lives so that we could enjoy this freedom. And God, thank you for every good gift you've given us. God, would you please help us to seriously consider what it means to be a partner of South City Church? And would you help us to jump in with both feet if that's what you're calling us to? To serve you, to serve this body, to serve this community and this city for your glory and for our good. God, we respond to you now out of your goodness, out of your faithfulness, and we give back to you cheerfully with a heart of worship. Thank you, God. We bless you now. It's in your precious name that we pray. Amen.